Hello. Yeah, hi. Better? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. It's snowing here. You know, hard actually. Well, it's not snowing hard here, but it is snowing. Is it really? Yeah. Well, it snowed this morning. There's there is snow upon the upon the earth. <laughs> well, that's that's always a fun thing when that happens in Oregon. Um. Okay. So today's kind of a big day. We didn't do a show last week because you did that thing where you didn't want to talk to me, and then this. And I so, did that thing where I was enjoying the sun in Santa Barbara. Well, potato, potato. So nice. Man, it was <laughs> what so were you nice. doing? You were. This was you. You were uh, arm candy, right? Yeah, I was just the arm candy. Yep, that's that's right. Traveling with your uh, lovely, uh, lovely bride. I was the trophy husband. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it was fun. I I do recommend, by the way, that you uh you, you know you take this time of year and just at least a couple of days go hit a warm climate like that. It's good for the soul. True. But I digress. Yeah. Sorry. Well, we missed that. We were we were going to talk about um, we were going to talk about uh, Pinterest. That was, Ooh, that's that right. Was on the list. We had, had, we, uh-huh. Yeah, you you seem pretty fired up about Pinterest. We uh, today is the big day. It's uh, March first, and that means it's the day that that all of the Google privacy policies are unifying. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and so there's a lot of uh, sort of hue and cry about um, you know. Uh, the data, you know, your data, where do you get your data? What have they done to, you know, unify your data? I think Google has been pretty good about it, but we, you know, we could, we could talk about that. Um, and, uh, oh man, uh, Oscars, you know, I'm so interested in what you think always. <laughs> I, I don't know. What do you have on your, what do you have on your list of things? You know, I had a whole bunch of things. I, I think we should, um, I, I had a couple of things I really wanted to get into, but I don't want to bring them up, um, until we, I think the stuff you brought up, I think we should see how far we get with that. And then, um, you know, I've got some other just sort of thoughts and uh, so some things I'd like to pick your brain about. Um, but I want to say about this Google privacy thing that I, I, I uh, and this is just, I guess, a, just a, well, it is a side comment, but, you know, kind of, it's just kind of interesting. And, and we just, it's it's sort of hard to predict, you know, a year from now, two years from now, when it comes to things like online privacy, because it wasn't long ago that we were more or less saying, well, you know, Facebook, there's all this concern about privacy. And these guys really seem to be just kind of dicking around with the, their users and we don't, and things are changing. Everyone's upset, you know, at various times because the rules keep shifting and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, but it was like, on the, on the in the back of our minds, well, we know Google actually we're using Google more than we're using Facebook in general, and Google has been around longer and has built enormous databases, and we don't know what they know about us, but we're not as concerned about them. And then, yeah, this privacy change came along, which um, is apparently all about as it as it always is about advertising and and money, and um, and yeah, so there's a hue and a cry, and and it. I, I think that, <laughs> that the vast majority of people don't really know, and I don't really know, you know, what all the changes are about other than, uh, and and this is where I'll kind of throw it to you to, to, to tell us what you know, but it appears that it's mostly about sharing data between Google products so that your use, uh, say with the 
Google search is paired with your use of Google Plus, which is paired with your use of YouTube, so that their ability to target you um, is, is sort of magnified instead of being siloed, which it apparently has been. Yeah, that's that's my understanding too. I mean, there, you know, I I, I think there's you sort of have to look at this uh, as more of a philosophical change than a technical change first. Not to understate the technical change, there's a significant technical change, but it's a philosophical change in product direction at Google, I think. Um, and, and you can see what has been going on over the last uh, year. There has been a, a significant kind of unifying of themes across Google products. Instead, uh, what, what they're... What Google was before the change uh, was a search company that also had a bunch of standalone products like Maps and Docs and Voice and and all these other little products that, you know, some were more popular than others. But I think by and large, most people thought that uh, that search was, you know, Google's primary business and everything else was, as Steve Jobs puts it, Jobs puts it a, a hobby. and. This change is, you know, oh my gosh, we've got all these products and we've got all this data and we need to find a way to take all these products and put them into one big package. It's like, um, you know, it's like the the point when Microsoft says, you know what, we have Word and we have Excel and we have PowerPoint and, you know, we should sell them in one box and call right. that office. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, that I think is what we are is what we're seeing. This this privacy policy sort of um uh, is a change that kind of leads the charge. That says now we have one privacy policy for a vast number of Google products. And you really should user start seeing Google as the suite of products like Office and not search and docs and voice and all these independent products because when you're using google you're using something far more than search and that's what i think they're you know what this change today represents is is a change in philosophy and a change in how we should be looking at google well and the truth is pete and this <laughs> i don't know if this is true for you or not but if you would have told me a month ago that google's already doing that i would have thought well of course they are Mm -hmm. and, and I don't mean this massive, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't have known that there was a policy change needed or whatever, but I would have made the assumption that there is some, at least a little spillover um, between, you know, I don't know, your your search and, and say your YouTube use. But I, I guess um, here's the concern that I've heard. And tell me how, I guess, on a technical basis or, or whatever, this change affects something like this. Uh, I have heard a concern that people uh, on one level don't mind if, if uh, Google knows that you're looking for shoes or you generally have an interest in horses or, you know, whatever. And that, that's sort of shared between things that uh, between Google products that you use so that you're served ads that uh, match your interests, but that the, that people get concerned when they think, uh, let's say you're doing a, a search for a health concern of some kind, uh, that that maybe is information that they start to get scared that they think Google is tracking. But how is today different than yesterday in that regard? Hmm. Uh, well, I you know, today is different in that regard because as soon as you search for something in the main Google search product, like, um, you know, I'm interested in... Uh, 
um, you know, horse bridles uh, in search and I get certain search results, then the next time I go into uh, YouTube, that data, my history on, you know, search uh, for horse bridles uh, will, you know, may be used to help define Suggest videos. Uh, suggest videos that are then related to, to you know, things that I have been, you know, interested in the past and then serve me, you know, relevant ads, um, you know, related to that. Now, there was an interesting story in Facebook that I think uh, on Facebook that I think really illustrates how this works. And it was the guy who uh, posted a link to a massive amount of sexual lubricant uh, as a... Um, uh, as just a link on his Facebook page. But his friends then started to report that they were seeing ads for sexual lubricant uh, on, you know, on their feeds because they were friends with him. Right? When they would... Okay. Does that make sense? So yeah. that that's it. I mean, he was posting an information link uh, to his network of friends, and now his network of friends see him associated with uh, these Facebook stories that are now that they're looking to promote as, you know, stories as ads. Uh, and, and so that's the kind of more of the connection that I think we're going to see. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about horse bridles or sexual lubricant, your searches become very relevant in the content that you're going to, to so, see served to you. So I think for all products. So for those people, I think for that group, um, I would guess that from here forward, their use of Facebook will be more deliberate and less casual than it was in the past, that that they may think or, um, you know what I mean, that, that, that there may be some unintended consequences of sharing a certain casual link or something like that. So I, I, I would imagine, I guess I, I say that because I would imagine that as we watch uh, both Facebook and Google, um, which are pretty ubiquitous, um, uh, for, you know, in terms of the amount of time people are spending online with those two entities, uh, that that in a number of different ways, let's just say over the next year, um, you, you will feel less inclined to be frivolous with, you know, I guess just in general, your use of those products if you see them have ramifications across products or um, with friends you're linked to or with ads you get. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just I, think in general, well, people might be more careful and deliberate. Man, I, and I, and I don't think that's a good thing. A, but You're such an idealist. I totally think you're an idealist on that point. I think you are saying that because you desperately want people to be more considerate of these things. I don't think they will be. I think they are as oblivious today, March 1st, as they were yesterday when they were looking at links of of uh of sexual lubricant on their friends page <laughs> i don't know i mean i don't i don't say it to be idealistic and and because i want i think that's not a great side effect i i think that no um, i i think that we should feel totally free um you, you know to to search and share and watch and and you know obviously um, within our own sort of moral confines or whatever but i think when you when you see something have an unintended consequence that makes you feel like maybe a little self-conscious in, in some way or a little embarrassed or a little, I, I don't know, or, or, or something is becoming less effective because, gee, why am I seeing all these stupid ads? It's probably because I did that. And, and maybe you decide to do things like, um, 
do certain searches uh, logged out of Google or with your privacy setting on or something. Yeah, so go into that incognito mode. And and not because you're doing something wrong, but because you see a cumulative impact of the profile and sort of the personality you're creating, and maybe you want it to be effective. I don't, I don't know that, that level there, I think is just people who really are, like you said, more conscious of things and, and most people aren't, but, um, but I do think, you know, you kind of look at what, what does this really mean? And I don't think that's, um, anything, any sort of serious impact, but there, you know, there's a there's a fantastic. Oh man, we should post a link to this. Have you read the Information Diet, Clay Johnson's no. book? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Go go get it. Like seriously, go get your really get your little iPad and and go get it. Right. Uh. Right. Like you can do it now, um. Because it's it's important, and I I think it's an important. It's a it's another sort of f- philosophy. Uh, I ran across K Johnson or Clay Johnson. I think he was um. It was a couple months ago, I think it was. He was a guest on um, the Twit Network's uh, Triangulation show, where um, he sat down with uh, Tom Merritt and Leo Laporte, and they talked for an hour about the information diet. And I think, um, well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna read just the blurb here off the the book. Healthy information consumption ha- healthy information consumption habits are about more than productivity and efficiency. They're about your personal health and the health of society. Just as junk food can lead to obesity, junk information can lead to new forms of ignorance. The information diet provides a framework for consuming information in a healthy way by showing you what to look for, what to avoid, and how to be selective. In the process, author Clay Johnson explains the role information has played throughout history and why following his prescribed diet is essential in today's information age and and i think there's a, there's a really fascinating kind of thing that emerges here and it was summed up by uh, uh by ev williams uh you know founder of uh lots of things uh, blogger uh, is a big one um which is this unconscious consumption squanders our precious attention but that those words unconscious consumption are really important in the context of this discussion we're having about what Google is doing, right? When you click on links, when you read the, you know, I'm okay, so I'm just going to go to Huff, uh, Huffington Post, uh, which, you know, last week I, you realize I can no longer search for. Um, right, right. So you go to Huffington Post and you you pick up the, the latest... Uh, um, uh, you know, the, the latest ads, uh, John Stewart mocks CNN, Fox News primary coverage, uh, you know, gosh, I, I need to find the, the nude who wore a nude dress on the red carpet. Yeah, exactly. Girls Day yeah, Out. Have you okay. noticed, by the way, anytime somebody wears a dress that color, everyone, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, so all the junk media outlets, they are going for that headline with the word nude as the color of dress. Exactly. Okay, here you go. Apple users really are more fashionable. Okay, so I just clicked on that link, right? That mm-hmm. was I clicked on it unconsciously because I bought into the headline, <laughs> right, right? Right. That was unconscious consumption. Yeah. And uh, and so I may read the first paragraph. I may think, oh, that is really dumb. But uh, it, what I don't see is what's going on in the background, which is uh, all of this data about my activity is being served back to key people, 
It's being served back to Google. They're key organizations, not people. It's being served back to Google in terms of my. my It's being served back to Google in terms of my data. It's being served to Facebook if my Huffington Post is enabled to my Facebook data. It's being served back to the Huffington Post in terms of Google of of their analytics and and their most popular articles. And it's then being served back to to writers who are like, God, I really would love to write the next American novel, but people don't want to read that. They want to read the garbage that I'm reading, as evidenced by the fact that they keep clicking on this damn stuff. Right. So that's what the information diet is saying. It's saying by unconsciously just clicking on these things, you are sending incredibly specific signals uh, to the creators of this content that you want more of it. Even if you don't comment on it, you are you are saying you want more of it. And it's now because of things like this Google um, privacy policy change. Uh, coming into play here that are going to only increase or I should say decrease friction uh, in the flow of data uh, across all of these different products inside of Google. And now and, you know, just as this relationship with Huffington Post and Facebook and, uh, you know, well, you know, you know who else is doing this, by the way. And I just read this this morning on TechCrunch. Uh, (laughs) I'm just telling you because I didn't. I'm not up to speed on how Twitter um, is evolving with their advertising, but there's some interesting things going on. But Twitter is pairing its interest graph now with ads. And what they're doing, um, I guess what they're saying about it is, yeah, we're not quite as, as, um, uh, I don't know, uh, advanced or specific in terms of how you can target people as Facebook, where you can, you know, sort of click a few boxes and select a demographic. But what, what they're doing is a little more difficult, a little more, um, uh, what's the word um, in mathematic terms? I mean, it's it's it, a little more complex, I guess. But um, that's a that's a good mathematical term. I, I was looking for the one that's oh, the bigger one. <laughs> anyway, I'm <laughs> digging a hole, but that's yeah, so but it's a little hard. more complex anyway. Where where they're doing that essentially? They're they're, you know, who do you follow? Obviously, and 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 then just trying to build. And obviously, build an algorithm, I guess, that does all this. But um, you know, not just who you follow, but what you seem to click on, and what stories you seem to like, and and how everyone's sort of matched up, and you know, so that I guess in really basic terms, it's you know, you just you're sort of creating a profile for yourself that then they can they can kind of act on from an advertising perspective. But a quick couple of facts here: Uh, Google or Twitter's ad. Um, initiative is only 18 months old. So there's still, you know, I mean, they've got 100 million users. I think that's right uh, compared to Facebook's 800 million. But last year, um, see, I don't have last year's numbers. They're on track to earn 260 million in 2012 uh, for their marketing. And they say 2011 was really just the year they began scaling, but they're going to they're looking to demonstrate that they're a juggernaut in 2012. A promoted trend on Twitter goes for 120,000 a day in the U.S. Oh, that's that's an expensive man, thing to buy. And that is crazy. Yeah. So kind of interesting, but you know. Anyway, so they're they're in a part of what they're doing. They're obviously already you know building their their advertising and and uh, earning revenue, but. You know, there everything we've been talking about here with Google and Facebook, and and what you really just said about Huffington Post and how they all interrelate. Um, you know, Twitter is is kind of creating their own machine 
to essentially create your profile, understand who you are. And, and which, you know, I guess 10 years ago to say, you know, uh, uh, an online company would have a complete defined definition for who you are as a person based on your use, um, would, that would really not go over well, I think, um, 10 years ago, if you told somebody that, but you can see how it happens and why it happens. And you can see that there might be benefits. Um, you know, I, I read about this, you know, all the work that they're doing, and I'm sure they've got many, many very smart people really building this and, and, uh, and it probably would be pretty freaky if they said, well, Dane, here's what we know about you. And if they were close to correct, that would seem a little spooky, but wasn't it, what was about a month ago that the FBI was, uh, asking for help or whatever to, to try to get access to those profiles, um, to, to on one level, just learn where things are happening so that they can get information faster and know where hotspots and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But on another level, trying to actually profile specific people so that, and I can't remember the term they used, but there was some term of art for, you know, uh, somebody who is sort of a, somebody who kind of like that, um, <laughs> that Philip Dick novel, Tom Cruise movie, you know, minority where you're, report, minority report where you're, sort of guessing in advance what someone might yeah, do. Yeah, pre, pre-crime. A pre-crime. I mean, that's kind of what it comes across as. I'm sure at this stage it's nowhere near that. But um, but you start to think that, right? They, if, oh, sure. if, if, if Twitter can say to you a year from now, um, you know, here's here's who you are, what you like, what you do, when you do it, where you do it at. And, and, and if by the time they're done telling you that, you say, holy crap, then the fact that the FBI is maybe linking into that and might know the same information starts to get a little, little creepy. Well, it is. Uh, you know, I think there are two. Well, there are two things going on. The first one is this: is this issue of? I mean, as soon as you drop the FBI bomb, right? Mm -hmm. I mean that that becomes a different conversation, right? It becomes. But know, I'm not making it up, right? I mean, you you're familiar with what they were doing. Well, or yeah, or saying, yeah, I mean, it would just just based on the, uh, you know, if you put big enough computers to, you know, attach big enough computers to the Internet, you will be able to mine an awful lot of, of uh, you know, fascinating and detailed private information that was never intended to be public, uh, you know, but is public by default and, and I by default by ignorance, you know, uh, uh, and, and so I think there is, you know, we don't read privacy policies well. Uh, and I find myself doing the same thing, you know, uh, services that are really darn compelling and would not work unless you, you know, made connections between these software applications and separate companies, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, you would not get the same benefit of, of a connected society if you don't say yes some of the time to things that, you know, if you, you know, sit back more soberly, uh, that you think uh, you might think differently about it, um, and and so that's 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 one side of the of of the discussion. The other one is you know are you um, you know are you sent actively sending the wrong signals by just the stuff that you do online, um, you know, uh, to to content creators and and to advertisers who you know, think that you really are interested in, you know, 1,500 pounds of sexual lubricant just because you clicked a link unconsciously. <laughs> um, you know, one of the one of the reasons I go I go back to the 
Clay Johnson book is because, you know, it brings up a really interesting point. And I think about this in the classroom. So when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm in front of students, and I see students who come back with primary, you know, what they call primary source material is, you know, Wikipedia. Um, I, I, you know, I have a problem with that when they come back with, you know, Newsweek as primary source material and Huffington Post, where they got all their best links for their papers. I, I have a problem with that. And it's mm-hmm. not necessarily because uh, the individual information, nuggets of data that they pulled out of these sources might be wrong. It's that I know that these students don't have um, they don't have a well-exercised critical thinking muscle, right? They, they aren't able to dig past the first thing that they read. And I think that's a cultural shift that we're seeing. Um, yeah. No, and, and it's and, and in my mind, it's kind of gone the opposite of the direction I thought it would go. I thought we'd be smarter and have smarter sources as, as we got more sources and as people... Yeah. Um, had a greater appetite for information, but it's it's gone the opposite direction. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, being in school and 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 there was an assumption that you were going to have fairly limited periodical resources for papers, you mm-hmm. know, like some major papers and, and magazines, and that your your um, job, I guess, as a student or or a researcher or whatever, was to try to detect or understand a bias in the reporter. Or um, uh, I don't know a history of um, validity or whatever, uh, but it wasn't so difficult. But what you're saying, you know, yeah, somebody pulls in sort of an aggregated source um, that's been rehashed maybe four times by the time it hits something like Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. They don't. I mean, they they aren't taking you know a career journalist and trying to make assumptions about bias or whatever. They they really have a job to say well what really was the original source of this and mm-hmm. and then you know was it fact checked mm-hmm. it's a lot more complicated and it appears that it's uh, that the <laughs> that as it's gotten more complicated um, people have gotten lazier about doing that well and that's I think the the curse of riches right I mean it's like we have access to so much information. Uh, and it's so easy to get that that going for that the the low hanging fruit becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I I think uh, back to the to, there there are a couple of things that have happened this week in addition to Google's um, you know privacy change going on today. I you know personally, are you freaked out by the privacy change? Is that something that concerns you? No, it's not. Um, not necessarily, but I I think that I'm fairly deliberate anyways in the, you know, so I don't feel like I'm creating a profile actively that I am concerned about. And I also don't feel like there's any activity I'm doing online that, you know what I mean? That that would, it, it, it's going to be, I guess, Pete, if something funky happens, like, you know, um, I don't know, like some ripple effect occurs that get, makes me very self-conscious or something like that. I, that that's maybe more my concern. I'm I'm not really thinking, you know, Big Brother quite yet. But um, but I do sort of, you know, I mean, the more I sort of think this through and hear about it, the more I think that I want to be sort of in charge of this personality profile. And and so you bring up, you know, like um, the information diet. Well, that's a really, it sounds like not just a novel concept, but actually a really important concept. And and it's, you know, sort of relating to 
Um, you know, I mean, there's, so there's going to sources of information and unconsciously clicking, but feeling like, yeah, but you know, whatever. I clicked on an Apple story and I clicked on a, whatever. Those are my interests. Yeah. That's that, there's parallel is sometimes I eat crap, you know? Right. <laughs> but you know, but, but the notion that we all should be thinking about it more deliberately, like we think about the food that we eat and the impact it has on us physically, that's probably a much more important concept than a whole lot of people are ready to understand. I think so. I think so. I think it's really ahead of its time, This, this, the, the whole concept. It's a critical thinking concept. It's something we have forgotten from, you know, our earliest education when we were, you know, originally taught how to discern the good from the bad and applying that, that same, you know, th that same level of cognition to um, information is is a massive challenge. It is not easy. It is not low hanging fruit type stuff. Um, but but you know, and so there's. I'm with you. I mean, I'm not. I'm not really sweating this from a personal privacy issue. I don't do. Uh, you know, I'm. I Google knows a lot about me. I have had um, Google history, web history turned off on my Google Apps account. So so if you go to you know, I think it's just Google.com/history. Uh, while you're logged in, it'll tell you if it's turned on or not. And mine is turned off. So Google hasn't been collecting information on me. I actually didn't know this. I thought it was turned on. Um, uh, but you can go in there and, and um, empty your, uh, your history. Uh, you know, what this, that, that's why this is less of a, of a sort of a freaky thing to me than, um, uh, than some of these other information diet concepts and critical thinking and information digestion concepts, because what they're doing technically is, I mean, that Google's not going to start selling your information, they say, uh, to outside users. What they're doing is just aggregating your use across Google products so that they can make new assumptions about who you are based on what you do. And that's inside of Google. And I think there is a cultural danger, not so much a technical one for the vast majority of users out there. So that's one. Um, but man, Google, what happened last week with this subverting third-party cookies thing in Safari, particularly on the I, uh, on iOS? Did you see this? No, I did not. What What is this? <laughs> well, okay. So, uh, you, you know, there are these, there's a setting in browsers. You know what a cookie is. Uh-huh. You know about the cookies. Yeah. Uh, so there is a setting in modern browsers where you have this uh, opportunity to um, turn off. Uh, well, to, your, to make it private. To, to make it more or less private or to, to make sure to say that uh, I don't want users or I don't want advertisers to be able to leave cookies on my in my browser, I don't want them to be able to track me based on based on you know in in my um, browser when I visit a website that has a third party ad. Like so, I'm on a search engine land page right now, uh, and I see a Covario ad, uh, island ad on the right column, right sidebar. I don't want Covario or the advertiser representing Covario to be able to leave a cookie on my site because I visited search engine land. Does that make sense? To leave a yeah, cookie is in that browser. is that different than trying to just turn, say, Safari's private browser on while you do a search or or while you spend five minutes online? Um, is it is it a setting separate than that, 
are we talking well, about the same thing? Well, there is a separate from that. And like if you go into Safari, you know, on, on uh, Lion, uh, there the options are block cookies, and there are three options. Never. So you'll accept any cookie from anyone. Always, you'll accept no cookies from anyone, which actually affects your ability to use sites that you do visit. And from third parties and advertisers, right? Which means essentially the the former setting was from visited which means or from uh, uh gosh it was um from visited i think on ios where it's you know i don't want to i don't want those ancillary third party plugin or uh, cookies and being it, left on my machine and it's a default setting block cookies from third parties and advertisers that is a default and that is also yeah. the from visited is the default on ios too so that that's the sort of landscape right that's the setting right now and so it came out two weeks ago, or a week, I guess a week and a half ago, something like that, that Google had uh, circumvented this setting in order to leave cookies from their third-party advertising channels, uh, particularly in iOS, to circumvent this user setting because it was not, they said, an appropriate default and... Um, See now I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to find the original story. I was hoping you would know more about it, so I wouldn't. I don't. So, no, so this dumb. is no. But well, but sorry. it was it was by uh, what they did was they they actually had a like a hidden form in an iframe that allowed you to to or that that essentially made it an accepted. Uh, as soon as you hit hit uh, hit the page, it would like auto it would like submit this form. I see. I'm talking in circles about it. Uh, but the result of it is whether or not I get the technical stuff right is that someone inside of the organization made a decision to actively circumvent a user setting in a competing browser which would allow uh, more advertising cookies to be left on that user's browser and, and obviously their opinion about that versus uh, anyone else's opinion about that is way ahead of i would assume the law on the issue yeah so they can yeah. have an opinion and there's no law to really, there's no law that's been worked out on this. And I'm getting really scared, by the way, of courts deciding technical privacy issues. Oh, it's so bad. It's not working out yeah, well no, it's on not, that level. It's not working out well. I, well, so this, this issue ends up being, you know, this, I think, uh, more significant um, for Google I, I wish it was more significant for Google than even this the privacy policy change, because what it means is there is a force at work in this company who's for so long whose mission was just don't be evil. Don't do stuff that is, you know, could be categorized as evil. And they're doing stuff that really is evil. And when they do things like that, right, when they do things like circumventing user um, privacy settings in competing browsers, it makes it much more difficult to trust that they are going to do things in with my best interests in mind uh, on their other products. That's my that's my my point of all of this. Yeah, and it I don't know. I mean, I just I get a little caught up just thinking about. Um, I, I mean, for a long time, as I understand it, Silicon Valley uh, really didn't do a great job of. Uh, influencing politics, I guess, of hiring lobby lobbyists and um, paying off political parties to serve their own interest. And, and, um, and I guess for better or worse, because, you know, in a lot of ways, I think they've been left alone. Uh, and, and that's been good in a lot of ways. But in other ways, I think uh, they're now getting ahead of, of things that 
I think should be sort of national debate issues so that so that laws can be made without um you know uh district courts um setting precedent uh but what I like, what I see recently has me a little concerned. I mean, you have uh, what Chris Dodd is the MPAA director. I know that's not a technology company, but they just uh, got behind a, a very scary piece of uh, technology um, legislation. Two pieces, I guess. The uh, privacy, um, what was it called? The the privacy something. Um, you were very hot about it. Oh, the, SOPA and PIPA. SOPA and PIPA. Yes. Little, it's like two you little were, dogs. You were very hot about it. I, yeah, you were very hot about that one. Uh, anyway, so and then I, I, Google, I just noticed, hired a, a former um, congresswoman, um, Republican, and and things like that, where you have this, you know, where now we're at this point that massive money's as uh, as at play, and and Google is like you said, less about. Um, sort of a simple business direction and a don't be evil and more about how can we make the most amount of money because now we've got some serious uh, online ad competition with the likes of Facebook and, and Twitter and others. Um, so I just sort of, I, I'm, I'm concerned at this point about how laws might be made. And I, I maybe wouldn't worry quite as much about it except for the way that SOPA and PIPA played out and how totally clueless almost every legislator who said anything about it was that's that's really the problem and i think that came out in the in the sopa um, legislation i mean i i was man i was stuck on c-span uh watching them talk about this and it was it was so obvious that not only was and this goes back to the information diet i think you, you know in many respects the best target for something like the information diet really would be our you know our representatives uh uh, because these are clearly people who, A, don't understand what they're talking about when it comes to technology, uh, and B, don't have the the kind of technology resources in their own offices to be able to educate them on the uh, Well, who who was the chief but, sponsor of SOPA? Well, hold on. But the the third one, is, that was like Lamar, I think it was Lamar Smith, wasn't it? Um, Just someone who had never even used his email. Well, that's it. Because the third and most insidious uh, piece that comes out of this, the most, the biggest problem for me is that the people who are making these leg this legislation has they have no respect uh, for those who do make the technology. Uh, you know, we're not going to bring the nerds in. You know, those those sorts of comments show a distinct lack of respect for those who are are actually working hard to build the networks and the technologies that actually make things happen. It, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. It's a it's a it's a huge problem. So that's that's more on my soapbox. But uh, you know, I would say I want to get back to this cookies and privacy thing. Um, originally, this was a Wall Street Journal uh, report. Uh, on Google's uh, iPhone tracking, they call it, and we'll post a link in the in the show notes for this one. Um, and uh, John Battelle wrote a response. Uh, and John Battelle, uh, his you know he's an advertiser and and um, you know has a very vested interest in in you know advertisers having access to your use history and thus cookies. And then uh, John Gruber, 
wrote a wonderful uh, sort of follow-up to both of these, a long one, which I'll also post, that that gives the um, uh, kind of the the background and some analysis of the tracking. So we'll post that too. I'm, my description of what is actually going on is really lacking, and I acknowledge that, but, but it's well, and, really and, worth reading. And can we them. just say without getting too sidetracked before we leave the topic that, um, you know, this whole notion of, of uh, the... the overlapping between privacy issues and, and your personal, um, I don't know whether it's information consumption or information sharing and, uh, advertisers and, uh, media companies gets, gets a whole different level of scary when you consider the ongoing controversy with, um, is it uh, news of the day and and the sun and, you know, all of the uh, Murdoch properties and information still spilling out, uh, about paying off sources and paying off uh, police and and uh, hacking uh, phones and uh, I assume there were some email hacks as well. Uh, I wonder if there's some folks in large uh, media organizations who are following some of this and just think and just can't help but think, how do we surreptitiously, um, you know, glean story information from from this evolving. Uh, and sort of undefined landscape. Yeah. Well, I wonder, you know, wasn't it that there was a, was it a TED talk or this, the guy who wrote the book on how um, psychopaths, uh, like there is a, a higher uh, incidence of psycho psychopathy in the psychopathy. highest. Psychopathy. Psychopathy. <laughs> psychopathy. Don't know. Uh, in uh, the highest ranks of of major corporations, like CEOs, are much more likely to be. I, d- I didn't hear the talk, but yes, I I read uh, a synopsis, and and yes, yeah, right. I mean, I'm it's, not calling I'm not calling Murdoch uh, a psychopath, mostly because if he is, that's risky. Right. <laughs> he he probably there's yeah he's probably got a a unit somewhere in Australia that's taking. It's listening, you know, sort of NSA style. See, to I should like check that. our analytics because I may need to <laughs> warn our users based on their cookies. <laughs> Yikes. Um, no, I know. Yeah, uh, I think it was sort of Wall Street. Well, you know, if you ever watched the movie um, uh, The Smartest Men in the Room, the, the documentary about Enron, yeah. and it really gets in. And the guy, I think, who sheds the most light on the trading floor, um, the, sort of the, the nature of the trading floor, is the guy from Portland who I, I seems like he was doing it from Portland somehow. I'm not sure, but, um, they, they interviewed the guy from Portland, uh, who talked about, and, and then of course they, um, so they talked about, you know, how people behaved and what kinds of personality and how, and then the narrators, you know, threw in some other data and how they really were exclusively men. So the Enron energy trading floor, which they essentially created, um, and and that in turn destroyed their company. Um, well, in part, that's part of what it was. But uh, though it was all men, and the and and so there's no real data. I mean, they didn't bring in psychiatrists to diagnose people, but but the behavior was very sociopathic. Hmm. So things like let's shut down the grid in California, regardless of the consequences to the people who live there on a hot day in the summer. Uh, it will boost our profits. Do it. Happened all the time. Yeah. And when you watch that and then hear uh, the talk that you're referring to, not, some not more psychopathy, 
but sociopathy. It, right? They're not. They're, they're not terribly different, are they? I. I don't. I. I just want to make sure I have both words out there because one of them is likely wrong. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so we're going to be right on one. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, uh, so sociopath, I think, is probably more. Um, it's probably. Uh, it's an easier one to to lay on somebody. I know that. Um, that they have a really hard time actually diagnosing someone as a psychopath, but. Yeah. Uh, so sociopath, I would say, um, is probably more relevant, but, but what do I know? Um, anyway, but when you hear some more advanced, um, research about, you know, say traders or CEOs or the very wealthy, it surprises me. Not so much. I, I, I you know what I mean? Like yeah. I just sort of, uh, I think at one point maybe I would have been reticent to believe it, but I, I don't have much trouble starting to make those connections. Well, yeah, which which comes I think from the further distance from the actual, you know, impacted audience, right? And I think a lot of the same um the same decisions get made about big data. Uh when you are not connected with the people sitting in their living rooms on their home computers, you end up, you know, when you when you have lost your connection between sort of how the decisions of what you do with their data, um, you know, when, when you no longer have that, that sort of relationship with them, you're able to make decisions that are, um, that, that might otherwise be classified as, you know, sociopathic. Um, well, and that's, and, and I know you aren't speaking quite to this, but it's something for companies to think about as they rely more on data. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think over the years, a lot of companies didn't do a really a very good job anyways of understanding their consumer or their customer or their target market uh, for various reasons. Um, um, and as more data has become available, it's generally been a good thing that, that a company can know more and make fewer assumptions about who really uses their product when uh, and that kind of thing. So, so that's good. But, but, you know, to your point, there's a lot of areas that this you know, um, you, I, I think of, as you just said that the, um, drones, you know, how somebody can be like in California, drive 15 minutes to an office and control a military aircraft and, and, and strike, you know, targets, uh, blow things and people up in another part of the world and then drive home at the end of the night, um, probably suffering from PTSD. Um, but, you know, so obviously that's a whole different level than you know what you're talking about. But there are relationships, I think, to to saying we think we can know everything way out here yeah. because we've got enough data to make assumptions uh, or at least to make decisions. But I would say for just your average size company, um, there's a danger of of not getting face to face with your with your customer or you know, focus groups or really kind of getting down to a level that, uh, help that, that makes them more personal, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, because you're relying on data. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a great point. And I'm, I've been doing some research here on the differences between sociopathy and psychopath, uh, psychopathy. Okay. And they I share always call it psychopathy, but psychopathy, I, I don't know. I, 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 I actually don't know. don't know. I don't know. I would ask Google to do the, you know, pronunciation thing for me, but I don't want them to know that I'm searching for it. <laughs> uh, and so it turns out that according to, quote, psychologists, sociopaths tend to be nervous and easily agitated. 
are likely to be uneducated and live on the fringes of society, unable to hold down a steady job or stay in one place. Psychopaths, on the other hand, often have charming personalities. They're manipulative and easily gain people's trust. So I think that's what we're talking so about. So must be psychopaths, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they are easily well, now, are you able this? to uh, mimic emotion uh, so they can appear normal to other people. Um, so Ted Kaczynski, sociopath. Ted Bundy, psychopath. Exactly. Got yeah. it. So Okay, well, that helps uh, us. That's, that's what I've got. Uh, that's the diagnosis of the week. So speaking of the fringes <laughs> of society, we don't have a ton of time left. I wanted to talk about Pinterest. Okay. And it's, and it's apparently pronounced Pinterest, as in Pinterest. 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 Yeah. Like, I am uh, a Pinteresting person. So uh, I brought this up a couple of weeks ago because I had all of a sudden seen, uh, I guess, some comments about it. Just it, I, I was, it was not on my radar whatsoever. And, and you had, I noticed, made some comment, I guess, on Facebook about it. And so I thought, well, I'll bring that up. I don't know exactly... I, there are some people I like that I'm that I you know follow online or whatever that were getting pretty jazzed about it and I and they were female and you were a male and I just thought well wait a minute what am I missing so I did some little little bit of research on their website uh, and and then after speaking to you did some other research some some uh, read some articles um, obviously you know started a little account and you know pinned some things um, it is pretty fascinating here's and I'll throw this out. I know you've got a lot of opinions about this. Um, I can share, you know, kind of what my experience was like early on, what I, what I liked about it. Um, and some of the things I'm re I've read. Um, but, uh, what surprised me is that it's been around for quite some time, long time. Yeah. But is now like, I think it doubled in January and it's picking up even more speed in, in, in February and, and I don't have February's data, but January it doubled. Mm -hmm. Its users doubled mm -hmm. all of a sudden. Overnight success that took uh, just nay uh, eight years. That is really fascinating. So, what's your impression of the service? Um. <laughs> so I, so as I signed up, uh, um, apparently, unless I'm missing something, it appeared very obvious. You can only sign up with either a Facebook or Twitter account, right? Did I miss something? Uh, wow. Those, those I, I, appeared to be my only two options. I, I'm seeing more and more of that. I can't confirm that that is the only uh, option. When I Let me see. When I sign, I'm going to log out and see if I can. I, I can't recall if there's a way for. There were two very obvious options, and I looked around for another way to do it, and I couldn't see one. Huh. So I chose to sign up through my Facebook account, okay. which might help explain perhaps the the, the rate of growth. If they've actually made some change along those lines, I'm not sure there. Well, now that they have a Facebook app, you know, it shows up very clearly on your timeline where what your pin activity is. Yeah. And so that's the whole deal. I mean, now it's an integrated part of Facebook. It was it forces you to upgrade to the timeline um, uh, on Facebook. And, and then it has this nice little, you know, space there near the top of your timeline that is just your Pinterest activity, which is kind of kind of. I liked that, you know, if I have an article, for instance, that I think is interesting, I don't necessarily have to make that part of my Facebook news feed to, to everybody, which, by the way, statistics are only 15, or 16% of your friends see your posts. Um, so I just read that this morning. But uh, anyway, so 
so there's an article or there's something, there's a picture or there's something I think is interesting. Um, I can keep it in sort of that Pinterest framework. Um, I, I guess it can still find its way into the newsfeed, but, um, but probably with less weight, I would assume, or, or maybe more to people that we have a Pinterest connection, you know, back and forth with. Um, but it, it, it creates sort of a, a way to, um, I'm trying to think of the word like uh, compartmentalize uh, the some of your sharing, so that you know you're you're doing it in that format. But it's sort of there's a crossover. But I I feel like I can share more things or do like I I'm very subconscious or, or sorry self conscious about you know posting five things a, in a day on Facebook. I think it's too much, and I'm I don't know I know that's just my own opinion, but um, but that's the way I feel. Pinterest, I don't feel that way. I feel like, oh, I can go in and post, you know, 10 things and I'm not, you know, overwhelming somebody else with, you know, my sharing. Because it's much more of a browsing community than... than Exactly. uh, Yeah. In the same way maybe Twitter is. I mean, you know, you could post 30 things in Twitter and, you know, you're really not going to be bothering anybody. Well, it's interesting. I was finding about Twitter, there was an... I think the... It used to be, I, when I would cover an event, when I would like cover an event, I, that's like putting way too much weight on what I do on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it used to be when there would be an event, I'd go to a conference or something, I'd use Twitter and I would tweet a lot. You know, I'm using Twitter to catalog kind of the inner monologue of my head and whether other people like that or not, you know, so be it. It used to be that I would... Um, you know, I would tweet like that and maybe go, you know, weeks or months tweeting a couple of times a day, and then an event would come and I'd tweet 200 times. And I would lose a lot of followers, right? Because apparently, at some point, people follow you on Twitter when you don't post stuff, right? Because and then you flood their Twitter stream, and suddenly they they unfollow you. They don't like being overwhelmed by stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. the Oscars just happened, and, you know, I do the uh, the other show, uh, Movies We Like, and uh, so Andy Nelson, the host there, uh, and I were using Twitter to, you know, provide our own running commentary of the Oscars uh, telecast, and uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't lose any followers. In fact, I may have even gained some, which I thought was really interesting. It's almost as if that sensitivity uh, maybe is being mitigated by volume. Like people are, are, as you say, you know, they're not seeing everything because the stream is going by so fast and maybe they're not as impacted directly by uh, by tweets. Or people have put me in a filter list that they're just not seeing anything I do anymore and it doesn't matter. So either of those things could be true. But there's always something to think about in my mind. And uh-huh. and so I kind of, you know, I enjoyed, you know, I created these little interest compartments. I didn't do it. I did this. I set this up right before I left for vacation um, and didn't touch it on vacation. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things it did, by the way, as you, you might imagine, is as it as you sign up through your Facebook, it finds all of your Facebook friends who are on Pinterest and you're automatically following them. Yeah. Just sets, and then it does its own sort of, well, based on your interests, we're going to also have have you following these other people that you don't know. And then you start, you know, over time getting those people following you back. Um, so I don't know what sort of a bond that creates in terms of this information sharing, but, um, but you know, there are people that I'm interested in. I I mean, it's, you know, um, so it's, it's kind of, that's, that's worked out. Okay. Um, I did read something I thought was quite interesting while I, while I was on vacation. Um, I think it might have been in the LA Times, but it was an article about Pinterest and how 
it's, it's, uh, it was partly about how fast it's growing and how, um, uh, I don't know how important it's becoming, but also how it seems to be more addictive than many of the other, um, social properties. And that there was an example of, I guess, uh, a college professor who had made the assignment for a course, uh, that they had to post everything on Pinterest. So instead of turning in papers, I guess, I don't know what the course was, but, and there were apparently several people in the class who were really concerned about that because they were actively trying to, um, wean themselves from a pretty severe Pinterest addiction. Wow. I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel any compulsiveness about it. Um, but, uh, it seems that that it seems that men it's more female dominant than male, but males are adopting pretty rapidly right now, but it seems to have a different, um, I don't know, um, a a different (laughs) meaning, I suppose, to women than to men. Well, it satisfies, I, I think it satisfies that visual nerve, right? I mean, for, for people who really, and I think many of us are really, um, uh, we're visual beings, you know, we, we take in so much of, of what brings us meaning through uh, our eyes that to see, to, to go to Pinterest and have this just visual onslaught of, you know, uh, it, whether it's infographics or, or, you know, haircut styles or, you know, links to websites, they're all presented so visually that I think it's, it's naturally appealing, um, sort of genetically appealing. Uh, and, and I think that, that may be something that, that causes Well, and that. I think uh, it's a very much a browsing network. I mean, it's, does it, that's why it, it doesn't feel like you're ever getting sort of overwhelmed by how many people you follow. Following is not really a concern on Pinterest because, you know, it's, it's more based on browsing and search. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, right. You can spend all kinds of time. I, I think and this, I think may or may not, but I think it may explain, you know, how women maybe become a little more addicted to it or, or, or more had a, had a, a higher early adoption to it. So somebody that I was reading said something to the effect that, um, that Pinterest is this great space for, for people. And the article really was written about for women, um, that in that, you know, Facebook is sort of, uh, a place to say, well, here's what I did, or here's, um, you know, how I felt or, or here's what someone said or something like that. But Pinterest is a place to say, here's who I am. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. So you sort of are collecting these, I love this fabric and I love this dress and I love this um, hotel and I love this. And so now you've, the profile you've built is this is who I am and you're sharing it in this, in this visual and kind of pretty and, and fun and maybe somewhat whimsical way that I, that might explain a little more of the emotional attachment that women have to their Pinterest experience, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Because anyway. it's much more tied into identity. Exactly. There is a there is a, a com score uh, released an infographic uh, based on January 2012 data saying that Pinterest and Tumblr uh, were roughly equal in the number of minutes per month users spent on the site at 89, uh, and. That doesn't seem like a lot for January use uh, uh, until you compare it to Twitter, which is at 21, uh, LinkedIn, 17, MySpace, 8, Google Plus, 3, Facebook, 
405. Ouch. So people are still spending a lot more time on Facebook uh, in terms of minutes per user. If you want to look at a, at a, a, a site inspiring of addiction, it seems like Facebook is the target. But Pinterest is is uh, for the overnight success that it has established in the last you know eight years. It has uh, it's it's climbing pretty quickly, and uh, you know over the last six months certainly and it'll be interesting to see what happens i there is a lot of um consternation about the way pinterest handles sort of repurposing copyright oh uh, i bet and and i you know personally i'm not terribly concerned by that the stuff that i post of my own material I'm, i've released into creative commons um you know share alike with attribution non-commercial and so you know for me it's it's all about getting the getting the original content that i post on pinterest out there and i appreciate the activity that people are are taking and in, in repinning you know f- photographs and such um but i can certainly see why um, you know, those who are, you know, not uh, in the Creative Commons mindset uh, are are having trouble. And I think Pinterest is, um, it, it's an interesting pill to have to swallow when you realize that you are, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle if you're trying to keep control of your content and be on the web. Yeah. Uh, no, I can see clearly how that would be a problem. I mean, so. it's, it's, uh, I mean, you, you, you're generally taking something that's online anyways. Right. But, um, and, and has to be shareable, but, uh, but you're now, you're not in control of, um, its distribution or its use really, or it's, um, right. Particularly and, and it, if it's getting shared from a property that isn't yours, you know, it's really had to, I have had to really rethink where I'm sharing from. Uh, because originally I was pinning, you know, from, uh, whether I would pin from my Flickr site or pin from Facebook or pin from these other locations. And then I realized, you know, I really want all these links to drive back to my own ownership and my own website at rashpixel.com. And so I had to rethink how my website was set up so that when you click the pin it bookmarklet, uh, while visiting my website, it pins the right stuff and brings people back to the site. Uh, if they were to pin something directly from my website, and that that ends up being uh, much more of of kind of a content strategy discussion, where if your site isn't set up right, um, if your site isn't set up and and tagged correctly, and and um, you know if you don't have the right source images uh, that that really look best on Pinterest, um, you know it it can end up hurting you, and you and you won't be able to use Pinterest to actually help drive awareness of the story you're trying to tell and and so i think that's a that's something that's worth considering that's interesting so uh so i'm on it but it's one of those that i'm i get a little bit um i get a little bit fatigued by just the the nature of of uh you know it's just another site to 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 pin to or to add to every day and so i'm i'm really looking at at going back on the information diet and really looking at where I share stuff uh, and maybe, you know, slimming down a little bit. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that for me is always vital because um, uh, if I, if I don't do that in terms of, you know, things that I need to be actively involved in or want to be actively involved in sharing, I, I go from productive to zero real yeah. fast. So I always have to be, you know, thinking that through and, and I'll ultimately obviously have to determine if this has any long-term value for me yeah. to be 
uh, involved in so far for me, the value was, uh, if there really are, I mean, you know, I, I logged in and was encouraged to share. So I did, you know, it's sort of like, Hey, you got to, you know, create your categories and whatever and share something and, you know, use it before you just log in and walk away. So I did. And then I went back a little later in the day and shared a couple of other things because I was getting some responses and I thought, well, that's, you know, I want to, yeah. I don't want to just be, you know, too casual about this. Then I went on vacation and didn't, you know, wasn't actively using it. But I guess as I, you know, as I left on vacation, I thought that, that the, there was value there in saying, I, you know, I don't want to spend all day posting to Facebook, um, but there are things I want to share. I, I also have a blog that I, you know, haven't really been attending to, um, but it requires a little more, it's a little less visual. It requires a little more work um, to be active with. Um, is this, you know, does this supplement that? Or, well, that's or... a good question because, you know, if you are a visual, you know, if your media is primarily visual, Pinterest can absolutely, I can see absolutely how it would supplement it. If you're selling something, if you're a, like a catalog provider as a brand, Pinterest is the perfect place to go because if you put a price in the description of your pin, it'll actually put a, a price banner. It says, you know, 10 bucks uh, across your the image of your pin on your pin gallery. It makes a beautiful uh, sort of a catalog um, uh, that now your browsers of your own catalog can, can actually, uh, you know, uh, share quite robustly with their own networks. That, that's a big deal. Um, I don't know how appropriate it is for, for every business, but I can see a lot of businesses where Pinterest is where you're going to want to be. Yeah, that's important to know. And, and I, yeah, I don't know enough to, to define those businesses, um, right now. I, although I could throw a few out there like clothing companies, yeah. I think that would be great. I, I think it could be really awesome for travel. And I don't think travel has, has, I don't see a lot of evidence of, um, you know, hotels and other, uh, sort of hospitality yeah. businesses jumping in here, but I can see it. I can see it really helping, um, something like that. Uh, obviously for, yeah. photography and other media. Um, but yeah, probably not, uh, industrial manufacturing. <laughs> no, I, no, maybe not yet. <laughs> Give it time. Anyway. But but yeah. What else was on your list as we wrap up here? Do you have other stuff you wanted to check? Um, you know, I had a couple of questions I was going to ask you, but they, I, I, I feel like they're going to. I'm just looking quickly through them, and I think they are long discussion topics. So next week, um, you know, one of them is. <laughs> Oh man! Honestly, every single one of them. If I even bring them up, but I'll, I'm going to bring this one up as a hey, let's talk about this next okay. week. Um, been thinking about how unbelievably, like, what an enormous windfall this new, um, like, super PAC uh, Supreme Court decision has been for uh, consultants, ad agencies, and really media outlets. And I'm, and I start to wonder. <laughs> you know, I hear you know, negative things in the news on occasion about super PACs. But as the money rolls in over this next election cycle, I wonder how muted the media is going to be about this being a bad thing because man, oh man, is it putting money into things like TV ads that, that, that apparently this is what we'll have to talk about, but apparently there, there are, I've read some very interesting <laughs> interviews with people who say, yeah, there are smarter things we could do with our money, 
but we don't have much time. We're getting so much of it. And the people giving it to us want to know we spent it. Yeah. So we do TV because it's the most expensive and the most um, sort of obvious thing to do. And so we do a lot of TV. So we're doing more TV than makes sense at all. But, you know, got to spend that money. Yeah, that's okay. That's definitely a good one for next week, especially when you see how great it's been. The onion has been peeled back on uh, Colbert and The Daily Show. Yeah, he's he's yeah been absolutely so. brilliant. So anyway, I think that's a fun topic. Totally. Uh, you know, um, it's funny. The more and more I think about what we what we talk about on the show, uh, really, the we're two guys in the marketing business who really hate marketing. <laughs> I think that's how this show has shifted. <laughs> I'm finding that's what makes us so naked. So well, I guess we need to more, be more naked about our, we, our uh, loathing and, we're and loathing of our, own, of our own business. <laughs> I really am finding myself spiting my own business. I think that's, I guess that's okay. Um, I think it's fun. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's yeah. good. But that yeah, that's a very interesting <laughs> observation. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, here's what's about this about week. Marketing today. I will uh, hopefully I'll catch you next week if you're not uh, if you're not on an excursion. Oh right. yeah, let's hope. All right, <laughs> bye. See ya. 